the real insight here and really why I think autonomy is the biggest thing in ag is not actually for the automation itself. It's because we're using all these sensors, radars and cameras and LIDARs for safety, making sure the tractor doesn't do something dangerous. The insights that we're gleaning from these sensors we're using for safety to do the automation can then be used to feedback value to farmers as we get this larger data set on a per farm basis will allow them to be many orders of magnitude more productive than previous generations. Welcome to The Restless Ones. I'm Jonathan Strickland. As you may know, I've spent the last 15 years covering technology and learning how it works, demystifying everything from massive parallel processing to advanced robotics, and everything in between. Yet, it's the conversations with some of the most forward-thinking leaders, those at the intersection of technology and business, that fascinate me the most. Egino Cafiero really fits the description of a restless one. He graduated from Carnegie Mellon University with a bachelor's degree in electrical and computer engineering. He then earned his first master's degree at Stanford University, again in electrical engineering. He became a software engineer and later attended the Wharton School, where he earned his second master's degree, this time in business administration. And in between working and learning and asking questions, he came up with the idea for Bear Flag Robotics. The company is in the business of providing automation solutions for the agricultural industry. We'll hear more about Egino's path to Bear Flag Robotics in a moment. I just want to take a second to acknowledge that Egino's enthusiasm and attitude toward taking on challenging problems and finding innovative solutions is absolutely contagious. I guess what I'm saying is that during this conversation, I geeked out more than just a little bit. As you'll hear, Egino's work focuses on a sector that's a blind spot for a lot of people. There's a misguided concept that farming hasn't significantly changed for decades, when in fact, The agricultural industry represents a field where bleeding-edge technology and the benefits of high-speed, low-latency connectivity are fueling monumental changes. But before we get too deep into that, I first wanted to learn more about Egino himself. Well, Egino, first of all, let me welcome you to The Restless Ones. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's a thrill to be here. I first like to get to know my guests before we start diving into all the nitty gritty. So the question I have for you then is, how did you first get interested in technology? What was it that sparked your desire to pursue that? Jonathan, that's such a broad prompt. Um, I mean, (laughs) the five-year-old boy in me always loved taking things apart and understanding how they worked, right? All my toys were always in pieces. I was always asking my dad to help me put it back together just because I wanted to understand how it worked. And then the adult me went to engineering school, became a software developer by trade. Formerly, I'm an electrical engineer. But in the background, I've always worked on projects in the garage, working on old beater trucks and trying to build anything that I thought was cool, which, you know, Fast forwarding to Bear Flag was actually, you know, the skill needed. How can we marry cutting edge, bleeding edge robotics and software with the physical world? And that's the quick version of how we got to where we are. I love that because it starts off with taking things apart and then learning how to put them back together again in order <laughs> to have them work again. Uh, it's it's like the the perfect genesis story of an engineer. Well, 
I think the old adage is, you know, if it's not broken, it doesn't have enough features yet. And that's <laughs> a, you know, certainly, certainly something we've fallen in the trap of before. You talked about becoming a, a software engineer. You were working a lot with companies that were really focused on developing and supporting infrastructure. What sort of lessons did you learn along the way as you were working through these jobs? I'd love to say that, you know, my career was this deliberate sort of, hey, I'm going to go from step A to step B because I know I want to get to step X, you know, someday. But maybe some folks are like that. My foresight was not that strong. You know, very, very tactically, I did try to set myself up on teams to understand how problems are solved at scale. I'm always fascinated with this. How do we take something from a whiteboard to having world impact. And I'm very lucky that in previous jobs, I was able to do that. I was super fortunate to be in the room when at my previous company, they were just whiteboarding out how they wanted to do this solution. And, you know, listen, every single thing on that whiteboard changed over the course of the next five years. Don't get me wrong. But it was cool to be in that room and have mentors and people that I highly respected having these lively debates about how we want to architect solutions and thinking not only about how we're going to do step one through two, but also step like 99 through 100 as well. And that paradox was thrilling and then something we lived through completely at Bear Flag as well. The ideas that we had when he founded the company were based in sound reason about what we knew to be true in the world, but they evolved very quickly as we learned new things and had more experiences. I would say that while I was extremely fortunate to work on these incredible teams with folks who have shaped industry in the first half of my career, I found a true passion here in agriculture. I remember having this distinct thought early in my career that, hey, listen, I'm okay at this. And I can do this, but it's not what lights me up. I don't leave work and think about this. I'm not thinking about this at stop signs and in the shower and on the weekends and when I'm doing other things. For some reason, the dots connected so clearly that I won't have the impact that I really want to have in my life if I'm not passionate about what I'm doing. And that's why Bear Flag's been such an incredible journey. It's been thrilling and awful and exciting and terrifying, but the glue there is the passion for what we're doing. And I think that's why a lot of the folks on the team are working hard here. Can you talk a bit about the genesis for Bear Flag Robotics? I was at a really fortunate juncture in my career. I had just finished business school and I was spending time with my in-laws in rural Oregon. My father-in-law is a commercial fisherman. The other one's a professional water well driller and has you know, his company. But my wife's uncle actually owns a construction aggregate rock quarry in the Willamette Valley. And I was exceedingly interested in that. So I went out with Tom and his son, Eric, and spent some days with them and learned about that operation. Honestly, just because I was curious. I wanted to know more. This is really cool. This is an industry I knew nothing about. And I talked to Tom and Eric quite a bit and started to understand about how they think about their operation. And they own their land. They have their equipment paid off. They're on top of their finances. They just can't find labor at wages that make sense for their operation. This is right, you know, when Cruise was making big news and Waymo was becoming sort of a, an idea in engineering circles, right? And folks were starting to pay more attention to AV and the dots started to connect for me that, hey, we can really help quite a bit here. And so I started noodling on these ideas and started looking at other industries too, you know, obviously mining, but then construction, marine, trucking applications were coming online. So there was a lot of movement. And I called up one of my very close friends from undergrad, 
Aubrey and she's an engineer too, but had gone into consulting. And I was like, Hey, Ob's, listen, like I have this idea, like, can you red team this with me? Can you shoot some holes in it? And we started talking and, you know, you know, half an hour talks started turning into three or four hour talks just about the space and sort of our excitement kept feeding off one another. And Aubrey's like, Hey, Gino, I, th- I, th- I think this is actually pretty, pretty solid. Like this, there's something here. There's a there, there. And so we spent, you know, four or six weeks really looking at mining. And then the story fast forward, and I was trying to meet with mining customers just to understand more. And I had the privilege of visiting a farm in Wheatland, California. And like I say, it sounds corny, Jonathan, but like that day really did change our lives. They said, listen, like the rock quarry is here. This, this isn't really our problem. Our pain point is in the orchard. We just can't find labor to run these tractors and do these operations we need for our business. Can you help here? And very shortly after, we became an agriculture company. Clearly, the labor issue is a huge part of why automation is so important already and going to become even more important in agriculture over the years. Are there other elements of agriculture where automation is just going to be transformative in that industry? Here's the big idea. So the labor problem in ag is the existential threat. You cannot talk to a farmer without them talking about some sort of labor issue. The folks that they have on their farm, the high performers, the folks who come in on time, understand the operation, are easy on the equipment, are dependable. Those are the MVPs of the operation. They're the most valuable folks, and farmers will do anything to protect those folks. But it's just increasingly difficult to find more really good folks. And so they're looking for automation any way they can. And we can add a tremendous amount of value doing that. The real insight here and really why I think autonomy is the biggest thing in ag is not actually for the automation itself. It's because we're using all these sensors. Bear Flag used radars and cameras and LIDARs, and there's other sensors too that we've experimented with. But we're using these sensors First, for safety, right? Making sure the tractor doesn't do something dangerous, harm equipment, you know, God forbid, harm a person. But those same sensors that we're using for safety are being used constantly as we go through these fields. The insights that we're gleaning from these same sensors we're using for safety to do the automation can then be used to feedback value to farmers. And as we learn more and we, as we get this larger data set on a per-farm basis, we can provide these insights to farmers that will allow them to be many orders of magnitude more productive than previous generations. That's that's the really big idea. That's the exciting part. Yes, we're going to help farmers today. Yes, we're going to allow them to farm more with less. But this is really just the tip of the iceberg. And if you look forward a decade, two decades, God forbid, over the next century, the kind of positive impact we'll be able to have on the global food supply is really exciting. That's why we're here. That's the big idea. To me, it's so exciting because we're looking at sort of the genesis of the transformation of agriculture, right? We're seeing that moment where it's going to explode and we aren't entirely sure what the landscape's going to look like afterward, but the potential benefit of having more efficient farms that are growing what needs to be grown, when it needs to be grown, getting to where it needs to go, addressing shortages where they are. It's the sort of tech story that I personally find thrilling and and inspiring. I couldn't agree more. One of the things maybe for the listeners to know, you know, Bear Flag's a startup. In the fall of 21, we were acquired by John Deere. And so now we're a startup operating inside of John Deere. And the CEO of John Deere 
recently was uh, giving a talk and I was happy to be in the audience. And the insight he had is, listen, like John Deere historically has been very good at doing more with more. We could always produce bigger equipment, higher uptime, bigger engines. And now the challenge of our generation today is to do more with less. And when we look at the kind of technology that John Deere is investing in, like sea and spray, this is technology that allows you to spray exclusively weeds rather than drenching your whole field in applicants. And you can just select specifically through computer vision the weeds to spray. And then obviously autonomy and a push through electrification now too. How can we grow more with less? And that's an idea that is extremely attractive to us as we think about a sustainable future. As I understand it, your company, what you do is you take these pieces of equipment that have been manufactured and then you retrofit them with the various sensors and systems. Is that correct? That's exactly right. So the, you know, the one liner for Bear Flag, you know, as a startup was we build autonomous technology for farm tractors. We had no interest in building the tractors. We didn't anticipate we could create a lot of new value there as far as a farmer is concerned, but we would procure the machines, the tractors themselves from rental fleets, dealerships, customers themselves, put the sensors and compute necessary to make them autonomous on them and then deploy them as a service. And it was working really well. We were really making waves and picking up the clip on our operations. That being said, we have had a longstanding relationship with John Deere. And when they proposed that we partner together, we sort of looked at each other and like looked at our mission, realized that, hey, listen, we're on a march here. We can do this the hard way or we can do this the fast way, which is to work with John Deere, which has the largest install base in the world. Talking to their leadership, we very quickly understood their priority to get autonomous to the world, which aligned with our priority too. And it's been a really good fit. Well, one thing that we on The Restless Ones love to talk about is connectivity. And when you're talking about automation and you're talking about sensors and you're talking about gathering data and you're talking about these massive pieces of equipment, my first idea is that connectivity absolutely has to be kind of the underlying foundation that makes all that possible. Can you speak to that a little? Yeah, I mean, we we recognize that too. You know, there's really two types of data transfer. One is, you know, the backhaul of all the data you get, and these can, you know, inform our machine learning models and help train our tractors to operate better. But then also just the pure insights that we're getting from those fields that we can then use and turn around and deliver value back to that farmer on top of the operation itself. But then there's also the real-time command and control. The bear flag machines had these real-time videos, web-based interfaces. You could basically have the in-cab experience from your tablet as you monitor your fleet while you're driving your truck around the ranch. And so connectivity was especially core to that. You know, we borrowed a lot of technology ideas from other folks in the industry who are working in parallel industries around how can we degrade the resolution of the video when we have lower connectivity and things like that. But truly... One of the biggest enabling technologies of autonomy and all this goodness we're talking about really is that connectivity. Well, and and you were mentioning that sort of in-cab experience of being able to view the situation as if you were actually sitting in the tractor as it's going. I imagine for that to be useful, to be really useful, you need to have connectivity that has very low latency so that you see what's going on as it's going on, as opposed to, yeah, this is what your tractor was doing 5, 10, 30 seconds ago. 
That's exactly right. Hey, listen, like there's also other really cool ideas. You know, in the future, you know, autonomous tractors will be RoboCop. They'll do everything. They'll do it better than a human. All the things. We're not there yet. And we're, we're frankly like not that close to that. So there still has to be human interaction. So while that machine can autonomously till or cultivate or harvest or plant that field, you still need to move it to the next field. And so things like remote piloting come into play where, hey, listen, I don't want to drive out 20 dang minutes to drive this tractor 30 feet across a private dirt road. Can I just, you know, remote control it from my iPad? And the answer is absolutely yes, you can, but you need connectivity to do that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Anytime you're talking about actually controlling a vehicle, particularly one as enormous as the ones we see in the agricultural industry, then obviously having that ability to have a low latency connection is absolutely critical. We would want to make sure that whatever is enabling the decision making has the lowest latency possible because you can't react to a hazard that actually happened five seconds ago. Then it's too late. Conventional thinking says you have to pay more to get more. I want the world. But T-Mobile for Business uses unconventional thinking to deliver premium benefits for better ROI. From customized 5G solutions to 360 support, we help you reach your business goals right now. I want it now. Innovating to improve business today and tomorrow. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. Capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain planner features. See T-Mobile.com. Do your farmers interface with this technology in a direct way, or is this truly a tractors as a service where you have your own team working on things? Yeah, so talking specifically to Bear Flag, one of the things that we really emphasize was getting to market as soon as possible. Startups in general usually wait too long to go to market, and we knew that was a trap, and so we tried to get in the field as quickly as possible. What that meant is that in the very early days, listen, the solution was not fully baked. It would break in new and novel ways we'd never seen before, you know, quite frequently. And we needed folks in the cab to finish that job up by hand. The farm, the farmer is not paying for an experiment, a science project in his field. He's paying to have that field tilled. And while our early adopters did have a ton of patience and curiosity, at the end of the day, they had a job to do and we needed to do that for them. And so a service model really makes sense. And you see this a lot in robotics in general, robotics companies that are, are early often do adopt service models because they can you know, develop their technology in parallel to developing their business. But as we matured more, there was more and more that we were handing over to the grower. Fundamentally, it'll be the farmer operating their equipment. That's the direction we're going. I remember reading a research study in robotics where the goal was to teach a robot how to open a door and the robot stared at a door for two full days before even <laughs> attempting because these are non-trivial engineering and robotics problems. So having that approach where you are cognizant that ultimately the farmer has a job that needs doing. So you cannot just leave it to chance that everything works perfectly. This whole system is learning. Every single time you have a different field, your system is learning. It is adding to the base of knowledge that all the different systems draw from and that it improves over time. I could not agree more. Would you say it's fair to say that now big agricultural machines like tractors have join the internet of things? Is that an accurate description? Oh, yes. Without hesitancy, and quite frankly, too, even before 
bear flag and autonomy came along. These tractors are extremely sophisticated devices. The number of computers on this machine parallels a car, right? These you know, farming operations are massively impressive, huge, oftentimes public companies farming at scale. You know, they run their operations like any sort of manufacturing company would. They have they understand everything that's going on all the time. Their devices are connected. They have predictive maintenance on their machines. They have GPS technology for guidance to make sure they don't have overlap and, you know, allows their, their drivers to go longer without fatigue. All sorts of technology enables these customers. Can you talk a little bit about the conclusions that farmers will be able to make based upon the data that's being gathered by these devices, just as they're going about their job of tilling or harvesting or what have you? Yeah, and this is one of the coolest parts, right? The future is an exciting place, and I'll touch like very quickly on what's possible. Farming is a problem with some of the most variables that I know of in the world, right? There's weather concerns and crop concerns and disease concerns and soil concerns and market prices, labor markets and biology and all sorts of things. And so it's actually really hard just to run simple experiments about, hey, you know, at A, B test, this field and this field, because it's so hard to control all your variables. And so as we are able to collect all kinds of information about a farmer's field over an extended amount of time, we can actually start to pull out those experiments in hindsight post hoc. And that's the real value. That's where we'll be able to glean the insights. And that's what we're working towards. That being said, it's not all slideware. It's not all tomorrow. Very specifically, what we were working on, we, you know, Bear Flag had the privilege of working with one of the largest cotton growers in the United States. And they would rotate with another crop called safflower to make sure the nutrients are put back in the soil properly. And so what we would do is we'd do the spring tillage pass, which is on a fallow field, a field that doesn't have crops. And we'd be able to understand how compact that soil was. And you could actually see in the data where someone had driven a tractor across that field diagonally to cut across the field because the soil would be more compacted there. And that would show up in our data. And then we could link that to the spring passes we made while the safflower was growing and use our LIDARs to sense the canopy volume and then start to correlate. Hey, listen, like it wasn't obvious to the human eye and it wasn't obvious because we didn't have these insights, but we can actually see now where that safflower has more canopy volume and we can go back and fix those spots and anticipate where that is to increase yields. These are really exciting things, once again, that weren't obvious to the naked eye before, but we can start to do through robotics to actually increase yield. Once again, you know, doing more with less. This is beautiful. I, this idea of, of patterns and, and meaning emerging from the collection of data. This is obviously the sort of the promise of big data at large, right? You know that you've got all this information and now comes the task of finding how to sift through that, find the signal versus the noise, find the meaning there. The idea that this is something that is applicable across the entire industry, but it's also going to be customized, tailor-made for each individual region, each individual field, because as you say, the real world is a terrible test environment. There's just, you have no control over so much that can impact the whole process. That's exactly right. Well, uh, I have to also ask you, what are some of the constraints on modern farms from a technological standpoint? You know, we were just talking about all the variables that you can't control for. Technologically, what are some of the constraints you have to work within? One of the broader challenges, Jonathan, is like you said, every farm is different. And so a challenge for a company like Bear Flag is picking what are our beachheads, where are we going to get a foothold, what sort of 
collection of farms are similar enough that we can start to build a business around as we extend into other types of crops. And then even then, it's like, okay, great. These farms that have some similarities, well, they do sometimes, you know, on the low end, four different types of operations all the way up to, you know, 10 or 12 different types of operations with their tractor in that same field. And so as a startup, once again, how are we picking the operations we're going to do? If we can only do two of those 12, how much value are we actually giving to that farmer? And so when I think about the barriers to adoption. You know, why doesn't every farm in the world have autonomy today? I reflect on just how broad agriculture is, not only crop to crop, but season to season and region to region. There's just so much value to unlock and then to deliver. This will be the work of a lifetime. I also have to ask you, you were talking earlier uh, about being acquired by John Deere, that partnership that's been formed, uh, that you're operating as a kind of an independent startup underneath the auspices of John Deere. For those looking to understand the integration of a startup into an established enterprise, what was that process like? What sort of challenges did it present and what sort of opportunities has it opened up? To start with, the reason it was obvious was a culture fit. We'd had the privilege of knowing the folks at John Deere were in their startup collaborator in 2019, got to know the business development folks, but then also the engineers and the leadership and started to have time to really understand who these folks were and what made them tick and what inspired and motivated them. And it was very clear it was a lot of the same things. Folks at John Deere really care about the higher purpose. They really care about the mission. They care about taking care of farmers. They care about the quality of the products that they deliver. And they have immense pride in the brand. And that's something that we felt the same too, right? Like nothing about agriculture is easy. Nothing about startup is easy. But there's a, this intense desire and passion and drive to have that impact, to deliver that value. And we made the same personal connections with our customers and our farmers as Deer has with theirs. And so Finding this commonality between this higher purpose is what makes it work. Now, listen, yeah, like Bear Flag is a small, scrappy startup. So there's going to be differences there. The, the main thing to call out, this isn't like old school thinking or new school thinking. The, you know, the folks at John Deere are some of the sharpest that I know in agriculture. It's just how you steer a massive cargo tanker compared to how you you know, steer a ski boat. Like they they just take different skills and they have different strengths. And so figuring out how we complement each other has been really exciting. There's a strong model here too. John Deere acquired Blue River Technologies about five years ago now. And that was a really good model for success. It was, hey, listen, we're going to support you in every way you want, but fundamentally we're going to leave you alone here and allow you to keep doing what you do, keep that lightning in a bottle, keep you being creative and motivated and ability to move quickly without getting in your way. And John Deere has done a remarkable job at that. Before I could let Agino go, I had to ask him one more thing. Okay, here's the one that I got to know. What does the farm of the future look like? Yeah. Oh, man. I think there's an evolution Right. Listen, I'm going to give you an answer and you're going to think it's a cop out, but then we're going to get to the goodness. The cool thing about farmers is two things I've learned. They'll always shoot you straight, which might not always be comfortable, but it's always useful. And if what you have delivers value, they will be quick adopters. These guys don't chase trends. They are especially astute at sniffing out baloney and cutting to like what can actually deliver value to their farm. And so as we iterate 
the most important thing as we go will be to demonstrate that we are delivering value at every increment. This is sort of like, you know, evolution, right? Evolution is such that the the mutations always need to benefit the species in order for them to be adopted as you go, right? And we end up with these incredibly complex sort of like eyeballs and hearts, you know, and organs, but they're always iterative steps. And I see the same thing happening on the farm. You know, the vision, listen, like you sit back and you're like, how can a corn and soy grower really just become like a futures trader on their commodity that's in their field and they don't need to get into a tractor? That's that's sort of the vision that you have in the back of your mind. I think we're candidly a long way away from that. Where I really see automation and autonomy helping in the short run is to make folks more effective, more productive, allow them to grow more on fewer acres. When we look at things like the economic headroom that autonomy itself unlocks, there's a ceiling there. It's really limited by the size of the tractor and the number of hours in the day. But when we look at the data and the insights that that's gleaning to help a grower have more yield per acre to lower cost, from our seat in the ballpark right now in 2022, that headroom is limitless. There's no known barrier, no practical limitations on growing more with less. And I think that's the direction we go. The idea of a farmer sort of like resting in bed with his iPad while the whole farm's running, I think is comical, but also too, just knowing enough farmers to know they would never be satisfied doing that. They want to get out there and work their land and run their equipment. There's an element of that too. Well, Gino, I have to say this has been an inspiring, informative, educational conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's been a thrill, really a pleasure to chat. It was impossible for me to suppress my enthusiasm for Agino's work. I think back to the challenges my grandparents faced on the farm and how they could have benefited from the incredible technology now being deployed. And it's really exciting to think about how data will ultimately fuel a revolution in food production. It's the sort of impact that everyone will experience down the chain. Increased yields, healthier crops, lower costs of production. Those will benefit everyone, from the farmers down to the consumers. We'll learn how to be better stewards of the land, decreasing the environmental impact of agriculture in the process. It's the sort of big-picture problem that can be tackled with the right approach. And it's not about throwing technology at an issue but rather the careful application of a thoughtful approach followed by meticulous analysis of the data we gather. That's what's going to change the world. None of that would be possible without the connectivity part of the picture. To realize this future, we need those wireless connections with high throughput and low latency in place. 5G technology is literally enabling the technologies that will transform how we do business. More than that, it's transforming the world. And it's phenomenal that we live in a time where this kind of connectivity isn't just possible. It's here. And it's growing. Please be sure to join us for future episodes of The Restless Ones as I speak with more leaders and disruptors who are building our path to the future. I'll see you then. T-Mobile for Business knows companies want more than a one-size-fits-all approach to support. I want the world. So we provide 360 support customized to your business. From discovery through post-deployment, you'll get a dedicated account team and expertise from solutions engineers and industry advisors already right now. I want it now. 360 support that's customized for your success. That's unconventional thinking from T-Mobile for Business. 